With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Rashad Phillips is here. We are going to talk about the NBA draft. We're going to break down NBA draft prospects uh, with Rashad, who has built a nice little nice little spot for himself across the industry. How you doing, man? I'm good, Sam. Uh, th- thanks, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really glad that you wanted to pop on here, and I think we're going to have a good time just breaking down prospects. I mean, I- I'm always intrigued by just for people who haven't been on the podcast before, mm-hmm. giving – a little bit of an intro into who you are. So you uh, were an exceptionally high-level point guard at the University of Detroit. Yeah. And you won, I believe, best player under six foot tall in the entire country. And then you moved on and played professionally overseas for what, like a decade or so? Yeah, just under a decade. Just under a decade and retired early. Mm -hmm. So kind of give – the people a bit of a background into who you are and what your story is from your perspective. Yeah, um, I was just a typical kid growing up in Detroit. Um, told I was too small to play. Um, didn't really listen to the naysayers. Played, became an all-state um, basketball player in high school. Went on to Detroit. Um, wasn't heavily recruited. Went on to Detroit. Um, became an All-American there. Won the Naismith Award. Um, played in the NCAA tournament twice, um, Final Four in the NIT as well. Um, my jersey was retired, and then I ended up playing overseas for about eight to nine years. And then once I retired from playing overseas, I started my own training academy uh, based out of Michigan, which is called Skills Unlimited. From there, um, it built to be the top training academy in the, in the entire state. Um, once I kind of removed myself from that and just kind of allowed my younger brother to take over that business. I, I moved to Orlando, Florida and, and started my own, um, you know, draft media company called sports talk 2319. And, um, I came across, um, uh, a guy named Sam who, who I really admire his work, um, uh, going back and forth. And, uh, here I am today. So uh, was that good? Was that quick enough? Huh? That's a good start. So I want to yell out, what is the what are the numbers? What are the 2319 numbers? Yeah, so Sports Talk 2319, the numbers is the, the amount of points I scored in college, 2,319, which right now currently is still number one um, on, on the board. So I broke John Long's record, who one of the players that I admired as a kid growing up watching him play. So to – Break his scoring record uh, was, you know, a monumental moment for me. But eventually, somebody's going to break it. I think Antoine Davis is um, going to. Yeah, you're you're in some trouble. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm going to use these bragging rights for like another year and a half, and then Antoine Davis is going to take me down. Yeah, I was going to say, is Antoine Antoine might get you by his junior year? <laughs> right, he's a bucket. Uh, all right, let's start by talking about this 2020 draft. Where are you on this 2020 draft? Because I think that while there are really good kids in this draft, mm-hmm. and I like a lot of the human beings in this draft yeah. class, I am not particularly excited about it from the perspective of talent mm-hmm. compared to other draft classes. Are you kind of there with me, or are you a little bit higher? I'm on? actually, like, I, I don't know. I think I got a different perspective on how I look at it, though, Sam. Um, there's always some type of jewel in, in any type of pile of players. So yeah, the goal this season or this draft class, particularly for me personally, is since it's not a, a very heavy top to bottom class, which are the, which kid is going to shine the brightest? So that's kind of the challenge that I've taken on myself 
for every year. Um, so that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to find the two or three kids in this class that people don't really are high on that are really going to excel at the NBA level. So that's kind of my perspective on how I look at this draft class. Well, it's funny, and you talk to some teams, some teams look at draft classes similarly to what I just well, said, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's a down class, it's a good class, like yeah. whatever. A lot of the successful organizations, I will say, that I talk yeah. to, they will be like, you know what? At the end of the day, if we're picking at 20, we're picking at 45, we're picking at 15, mm-hmm. we just need to find one. Like, we, we need to feel confident about one wow. guy that we're taking. So at the end of the day, they do – a lot of organizations look at it very similarly to that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just a bit of a different process. Like, what I do yeah. publicly is I try to contextualize – like, I'm not doing this from the perspective of an NBA GM. I'm trying right. to contextualize right. things from – a big picture perspective and put it into that perspective for people around the country to kind of understand the way that these things work. Whenever I do like a big board, even like I'm very, like I was just talking about this with someone who works for a team over the weekend. And I was like, whenever I do a big board, you know, a lot of it is my opinion. Like I'm lower on like Tyler Bay, despite the fact that like NBA teams are going to have Tyler Bay, you know, going 25 to 45 from what I've been told. Like I have him like in the sixties. I personally would have him lower than that, but like I just I have to account for the cognitive dissonance that is occurring between my opinion and NBA teams' opinions if I'm going to do this for a right. wider audience. So it ends up being like kind of a mis- mishmash of things, but I hope that it kind of puts it into context yeah. for people uh, trying to understand what the big picture look is. And that's not necessarily right. It, that's what I was going to say. Like I, I, I really, you know, I enjoy reading um, your content in regards to the draft. I don't, I don't really, I'm, I'm one of the few people that really go around looking at everybody's draft stuff. I, I don't, um, but you're one of the few people I do actually, right. I'll, I'll click and click on and, and, and see what you got because I, I, I value your opinion um, but for for me, um, I do it um, for a totally different reason than you do it. Um, my my breakdown of NBA prospects is more from the seat of a GM. So I try to give my audience um, a look from those type of lenses of how GMs look at players, but using my own eyes. So that's what I've been able to kind of build my NBA platform in regards to prospects um, in that sense, because it's it's extremely rare to be able to use the lenses of a GM and to, to kind of forecast these prospects. So that's why a lot of times, Sam, you may have a kid 11 and I might, I might have that kid 33. Um, And it's because I'm viewing him from a GM lens, but as if I'm the GM. So, I don't use, let's say, just for a team. I don't use the Lakers. I don't use Rob Palinka's eyes. I'll, I'll, I'll use my eyes to try to help the Lakers. So a lot of times people don't understand when you're looking at my draft content. I get a lot of pushback because I don't think some, certain people understand how I'm doing this process and why I'm doing it. So hopefully, what I just said there can kind of help people understand how my draft process works. Yeah. And, you know, I think people get like just overly up in arms when takes are outside of like the yeah. quote unquote, like group think mentality and all of that. Yeah. Stuff. I, I get frustrated by the draft conversation online uh, yeah, regularly. <laughs> let's, let's talk about real uh, draft prospects though. You similarly to me, are very high on LaMelo Ball. I think yeah. he is um, just kind of an absolute monster. I, I was someone yeah. who was a little bit questionable on him prior to the growth spurt because okay. I think that what people don't recognize is that, you know, LaMelo Ball has grown, what, like eight inches yeah. in the last 18 like, months, like, like 24 seven. months. Yeah, he's like six, seven, six, six and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and – 
it's totally kind of changed who he is as a prospect. And I think it's actually really changed a lot of his skill sets because if you watched him at a younger age, he was really just a scorer. Right. Like they would, he was playing with Alonzo and Leangelo from the time he was like 13 in these 17 and under AAU tournaments. And he was just chucking from three. He was shooting these weird push shots that looked ridiculous, but ultimately they were pretty successful. Like he figured out he and LeVar and yeah. uh, Darren Moore, who was their trainer at the time, like they, and is now Lonzo's manager. Like they, they really kind of just figured it out right. in terms of how to make it work for him. But when he grew, I think that it just totally shifted the paradigm of who he is as a prospect. And I think that we're still seeing the remnants of that now, kind of like you look at, mm-hmm. His jump shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually think he has pretty real touch. You see it, like, in the mid-range at the second level when you're yeah. trying to hit floaters, right? Yeah. Like, he actually has that scoring instinct. Oh, for sure. But I think because he's grown so much over the course of the last 18 months, his body is still kind of reacting yeah. to, like, the different angles that, you know, mm-hmm. the trajectory of his shot comes out of his hand right. Uh, at, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's part of why you see the lower shooting percentages that you see with LaMelo. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, like, I'm someone who thinks he's actually going to shoot it, and this is before we even get into what I think is his most impressive, you know, uh, attribute, uh, skill set and attribute. Yeah which is the passing, the live dribble passing, the ability to create separation. So where, where do you fall in LaMelo's jump shot? Because I'm actually um, – I don't want to say I'm, like, totally bullish on it because I think there are some, some shot selection issues, but I, I think that he is a good uh, bet to be at least a reasonable shooter. I think it's good enough to keep the defense honest. Um, and when you look at how the defense uh, – you know, you look at different coverages in the NBA when you're – especially when you're defending a point guard. Um, there's different looks that you want to give them. You want to go under, you want to jamming, um, you want to blitz it. Um, and, and, and a guy like LaMelo, LaMelo Ball, um, you won't be able to go under the ball screen too many times because one thing about him, he is a streaky uh, shooter. And once he gets one to go down, then he, he really becomes dangerous. So I think he has a good enough jump shot. He has a good enough work ethic that it's going to improve, um, but it still makes him – um, that much dangerous on the court, um, his ability to score from all three levels. So I'm, I'm, I'm in on the jump shot right now. I really am. But the problem is the problem that he presents to defenses is that you, if you go under on him on the jump shot, I still think that's probably the best bet because if you blitz him, he's just such a good ball handler and such a good passer yeah. that he's going to find that yeah. either the cross corner guy the, after the yeah. backside tiger mm-hmm. has to hit the roller, or he's going to yeah. just split the defense. If you play flat with uh, his ball yeah. handling ability, like he's kind of just a very difficult problem for defenses to solve. I was talking to a college coach who was just kind of watching tape uh, for his yeah. own reasons, as far as I know. And he asked me this weekend, what is like the comp? for LaMelo Ball at the NBA level. And I don't really have one personally. Like I have like kind of a combination of something I'll pitch to you after, but I would be interested to hear yours. What is your comp on LaMelo Ball? Sure. Um, Well, it's funny with with my comps because I always tell people, you know, uh, you know, my guy, my, my guy, Simon draft nerd on Twitter, me and him exchange tons of information all the time. He's a guy that I really respect his eye. So I usually bounce a lot of my, my draft, prospect ideas off people I trust and he's one of those guys so one 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 thing about mellow ball I, I, I dig deep on this one um, and you might have to go to YouTube to check it out and, and your listeners but LaMelo ball reminds me so much of uh, Michigan State Steve Smith back in back in the 90s if you go back and YouTube um, Steve Smith when he was at Michigan State before he got to the NBA, he was a six-eight point guard that can uh, had terrific vision, that can handle the ball, that can beat you off the dribble. Um, obviously, Steve was a, a better shooter. Steve was actually a great shooter. But I see a lot of evolution in Lamelo's ball, Lamelo ball game uh, by comparing him to Steve Smith. So people are going to have to really go on YouTube and check that out. But I, I see tons of that. In his game, and, and and I grew up under Steve Smith, Sam. So I'm telling you something that I seen with my own eyes. Um, 
Steve Smith used to come to my dad's gym when I was a kid and, and play, and I was always enamored with the way he, he approached the game, uh, big guard, tons of – he had, had magnetism about him and just a terrific feel for the game. So that's who I see when, I'm, when I watch LaMelo ball. Was Steve that creative as a live dribble ball handler? Because when I think of Steve Smith, I think of him as like the wing that played for the Atlanta Hawks. Right. right? Yeah, you got the NBA Steve Smith. Yes, yeah, you got it. And you're absolutely right there. You know, when you get to the NBA, you you know, they they change a role a lot. You know, Um, Steve Smith was so good that he had the ability to play multiple positions. But Steve Smith played point guard in high school at Persian. He was Mm -hmm. a point guard. Judd Heco recruited Steve Smith as a point guard, scored 2,000 points at Michigan State. So he was extremely tricky with the ball. And I know you know this, Sam. Steve Smith has a, a, a move that people use in today's NBA that's named after him. So he was very clever with the ball. But once he got to the NBA, his role kind of switched to shooting guard and small forward. But that's why I said LaMelo Ball reminds me of a a younger version of Steve Smith. That's interesting. That's not one that I've heard. And now I'm going to have to like dig deep and like figure out <laughs> you how got, much I you like this. Text me like, I, I, I saw it, Rashad. I saw it. <laughs> so what, what I told the person that I talked to was, I think he's like taller Rajon Rondo with Russell Westbrook's like oh. scoring mentality and oh, shot. Almost like, I don't think he is as athletic as Russ, obviously. I don't think he's that kind of uh, explosive athlete out in transition and everything. I think he's more like Rondo when it comes to the creativity, the uh, honestly, he pounds the ball on the perimeter. Like we can just kind of be honest about that. He really does like to try and make plays for himself in a similar way to Rondo does. Um, But I think he's going to be more aggressive, more willing to go to the basket um, and be, and obviously he's going to take, you know, these questionable shots in the same way that Russell Westbrook does. Like that, that's kind of what I see when I see him. And I think that that guy is in this draft worth taking at number one overall, number two overall, something like that. Yeah. Um, because I think he does have real all-star upside. Yeah. I, I see that. Um, you know, I look at LaMelo Ball as the Trevor Lawrence of this draft. I mean, there's a there's always a superstar quarterback in each draft. And anytime you have the opportunity to be able to draft that superstar quarterback, if your team doesn't have one already, then you do that. And when you look at LaMelo Ball with his size, his creativity, um, and just he comes from it. Like, you got to look at his lineage as well. You know, older brother's already in the NBA. He just was bred to play the position at a high level. Um, his, he has a terrific father that's pushing him in the right direction. So I, I just think all the boxes are checked for you to draft LaMelo Ball and take a, a huge swing at this. These are LaMelo was one of those prospects where you're okay if you, if, you, if you swing and miss on this one because all the signs are there saying that this could be a home run draft pick right here. So that's one of the reasons why I would take LaMelo Ball number one. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that like especially in this draft where everyone else has these blaring red flag like alarm question marks right like at the top I am willing to take that shot yeah. on LaMelo Ball I'm just willing to go for it and see what happens maybe I fail yeah okay he's like one of the few guys that I think can be like an actual difference yeah he's not gonna he's not gonna NBA fail. level in this draft. he's not gonna fail though let me just put that on record he will not fail um, but I'm saying as a GM standpoint, you're thinking it's, a, it's either a swing for defenses or 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 strikeout. I'm telling you, LaMelo Ball will not fail. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he failed. I, I'm in on him. Like I said, like I have him at number one. And obviously, if I have a guy at number one, I don't think he's going to fail. But like there, like you said, there is a home run swing aspect yeah, in a very real way that uh, – could result in him being like like he theoretically is a failure at the number one overall pick given the pick values that typically come associated with it if he becomes like a borderline starting point guard right Right. but I see that as being the low end for him like I think he's going to be a really good player I do too Uh, absolutely the kid the kid has superstardom written all over him he really does Uh, all he has to do 
is continue to uh, stay focused because when you have superstardom written all over you, you still can not live up to that stardom because there's other right. there's other aspects of being a professional athlete that can pull you away from your main goal, which is to perform on the biggest stage. You know, so I think Lamelo has the right people in place. Jermaine Jackson is his uh, mentor and manager, which is a college teammate of mine and a great friend, a brother to me. So I just know that Lamelo has the right people in place for him to actually live up and exceed the expectations of being a great player. So I, I want to talk about a guy now that we definitely disagree mm-hmm. on. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the disagreement is quite as wide as what yeah. maybe even you think it is, but I am not quite as high on RJ Hampton. As okay. You are. Um, I get the physical tools. I think he has like very real first step burst. He knows how to attack a guy's front foot. Can get into the paint. I don't really buy the jump shot at mm-hmm. all. I think he was pretty atrocious on defense this year. Uh, obviously playing professional basketball at 18 years old is hard. And I think that like we, we should really give these guys like the benefit of the doubt, like with LaMelo, like there are defensive instincts there. The things that worry me with LaMelo is like, he gets caught like wiping his feet when he's supposed to be tagging a backside roller. Right. right? right. Like that shit is like inexcusable, but it's also, in 18 year old adjusting to playing professional basketball. Is also expected. Right. Yeah. With RJ, like, I didn't see any of the effort concerns. I just thought that he just didn't know where he was mm-hmm. going, which worries me a little bit more mm-hmm. than it does with LaMelo, where you see the instinctual flashes of, oh, okay, this guy knows where he needs to go. So you take a guy that I think has good burst but isn't really a finisher at the basket. I don't really love the jump shot because I think that it's a left-aligned jump shot that comes out way too flat far too often, and he doesn't get enough legs in the jump shot. So I think you're basically – I don't want to say you're going to have to rewrite the jump shot, but I think that it's going to take a lot of work. And then you're talking about a guy who's not a great defender. So on a tools basis, I get taking him in the first round, and I would take him in the first round. I'm not quite in on, like, R.J. Hampton lottery pick. So pitch me on R.J. Hampton lottery pick. Yeah, when you – I mean, a lot of the deficiencies that you named about R.J. Hampton, you can can erase his name and put any prospect name there. Like, I've seen – I've seen Anthony Edwards be completely abysmal on defense this year. Oh, yeah, he's a great you know, like, defense. Like, he's, he is so much worse well, than I, RJ Hampton. But, but he's still going to be a top three pick. So, right. I don't want to – and I like Anthony Edwards. I'm just saying, like, you can replace RJ's name with any prospect um, and, and, and make that same case. What I try to do um, with prospects, and when you look at RJ Hampton, is look at where do, where, where do you forecast him. I look at RJ as the, the Swiss Army knife of this draft. The kid can play one, two, three. He's the fastest kid in the draft. Um, He's a terrific athlete. He is a huge competitor. He's very intelligent. And when you look at the lapses that he has on defense, it's it's chalked up to being young, for one. And two, you go from high school to playing professional basketball with grown men. Like, we we have to give these kids – some time to adjust to the surroundings, to right. what they're dealing with. So to to really judge them on that and say, well, I don't want to draft this kid in September because he missed defensive assignments in February, I don't think that's fair. Now, from the jump shot, uh, from the jump shot area, I've actually flown to Dallas and watched RJ work out with my own eyes. He has a terrific trainer in Tyler Ralph. Um, I watched his jump shot. He's completely corrected the deficiencies you said he had on that end. Um, he's getting a ton of elevation on his shot now, uh, tons of rotation. He was in Memphis working out with Mike Miller, um, and he looked fantastic. He's, uh, I think he has a chance to be his NBA comparison. I, I, he he kind of reminds me of Victor Oladipo. Um, can really get out in the lane. He, he can finish. He's a terrific leaper. 
And I, I think Arch is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, this kid scored – this kid had three 50-point games in high school. Like, th- this kid can put the ball in the basket. I just think when you it's, – it's, it's a huge culture shock when you go from being in the high school hallways to getting on the plane to go to Australia to play professional basketball for money. Like, there's a shock there, just a human – by human nature, it's going to take time to adjust. The time he adjusted, it took him about five months to adjust. As soon as he was done, he got injured and he had to come back to the U.S. So when I look at his tape in the NBL, I played in the NBL. I played in Australia, so I'm very familiar with that league. It's yeah. not an easy league, man. Like, those guys, oh, those they can physical. play, and they're very – it's probably one of the more physical leagues that I've ever played in, you know. So I chalk that up for him and LaMelo, and I tell you this. R.J. Hampton is going to be a very, very good professional basketball player. Um, let's just give him some time. Let's not, you know, let's not take the training wheels off of his bike yet, and let's see where he goes. So with him, the thing that gives me, like, that makes me think he can be a very – he can actually hit his yeah. ceiling right in terms of yeah. what his athleticism is and what his athletic acuity is is like he is a really good, good kid from great everyone kid, that great I've family. To. Um kid seems to work at it, seems to really get it in a way that like really uh that I really like. And that at least makes me think okay, am I being a little bit hard on him? It's really – like, I think that it's really hard to contextualize a lot of these kids in a yes. too. Because in the case of LaMelo and RJ, LaMelo was basically given the keys to the worst team in the NBA Correct. this year. And was they were team. just like, no, right? Yeah. And do your thing, and they gave him all sorts of rope. In New Zealand, RJ was in a very uh, – difficult situation where there was a lot of controversy kind of surrounding the team from Glenn Rice Jr. uh, getting suspended and eventually released to the uh, owner, Matt Walsh, getting into like very public disputes with the CEO of the NBL, Jeremy Lolliger. Like it was just a very weird, odd situation. It seemed like in the NBL. So I get I get giving him the benefit of the doubt. Also, he had a greater role than anyone else has had yeah. outside of LaMelo in the NBL since they've been doing these Next Stars programs. Like, Terrence Ferguson has turned into a pretty nice yeah. 3 and D level player yeah. in the NBA. And, you know, he was playing, you know, early on in the season, not a ton by the late portion of the season. He was playing decent amount, not a crazy amount, but a decent amount in Adelaide. So the fact that RJ was able to at least like be a starting ish caliber player early on in Australia, I think does Mm -hmm. say something. I would be interested to see him work out and see the jump. Yeah. Because I think that if he doesn't have the jump shot early, he's going to be a real project. And if you're drafting a kid like RJ, you're drafting him yeah. for the long term, it's a risk because if you're this team selecting him, or how worried are you that you're going to be the team that gets the best out of him? Like you mentioned yeah. Victor Oladipo, right? Orlando took him at number two. That doesn't look like a bad draft pick, you know, looking back seven years right. from 2013 right now. The problem is that Orlando wasn't the team – that Correct. got the best Correct. out of Victor Oladipo. So it, with the case of RJ, like I'm a little bit worried that the team that drafts him first is not going to get the most out of him, even if like I do think he's going to be an NBA player in some regard. Yeah, no, I, I, I look at – I would take RJ in a, in, a, in a top 10 in the lottery for me because I just I, – I would trust my development team, first of all, and also, I know what kind of kid he is inside out. I know, I know where his family, I know where his family comes from, and they pride themselves on excellence. So for me, that's enough to sell me on knowing that this kid is going to get it done, um, and he has all the tools to get it done. So for me, drafting a a, a, a kid in a lottery, 
or not drafting a kid in the lottery, you have to have tools missing. Like there are certain players that I wouldn't take in a lottery, like like a Nico Mannion, like I wouldn't take him in a lottery. I think that there are some tools that he's missing. Oh, man. If we're talking about not taking Nico in the lottery, uh, I would not take Nico in the first well, round. I'm just saying, like, I was just, I was just looking at – I'm just thinking of kids off the top of my head that I wouldn't take in a lottery because I feel like there's something missing. When I look at RJ, I don't – he's not missing anything. Everything that you said that he lacked is all fixable, everything you said. So for me as a GM – if I got the ninth, eighth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing for RJ Hampton because everything that you believe he lacks, I believe he can fix. Yeah, and I do agree with that that he has a chance to fix all of these things. I'm just not sure I'd wanna be the team to pay for it whenever like for instance, like I really like Kyra Lewis, right? Like oh, I think Kyra Lewis can step in pretty quickly and and by quickly I mean like year two or so he can already shoot the ball he's good at playing both on the ball or off the ball his speed is just absolutely absurd and even though he's 170 pounds 175 pounds let's call him I kind of think that he has the frame to which he's going to be able to put on weight and that's not to say RJ doesn't but I think that his skill set both as a passer as a live dribble creator and as a shooter is going to allow him to play a little bit earlier and is going to give him similar level upside to what RJ brings. I mean, they're two different players though. Then when you start, when you start doing it like that, Sam, um, where you, now you're, you have to look at fit and what you want as a, as a, as a team. So if I'm looking for a point guard and we're, and we're struggling at the point guard position, then I would look at Kara Lewis because, I'm drafting for that position. But if I have the point guard position filled and I need a combo hybrid type guard, then RJ Hampton is my choice. So you're basically looking at apples and oranges here because they don't bit, play the yeah. yeah, because they don't play the same position. Um they're they they got two different stories. So if I have a point guard in place, then why would I draft Kara Lewis? If I wouldn't I wouldn't draft him if I got a a, a a point guard in play. But if I needed a point guard, I would take care of Lewis. So then you, it becomes position-based for me. That's just kind of how I look at it. Well, let's let's do one that is similar in terms of position and okay. everything. So, like, Tyrese Halliburton, to me, I think he's going to be – I don't think he has the explosiveness to be, like, a high-level NBA point guard. I think he's going to be best in, like, the role that Lonzo Ball has found success in in uh, New Orleans, right? Playing as like a guy who leads the break in the secondary break. And then in the half court plays a bit more of like an off ball secondary creator role that spaces the floor a little bit and makes these very quick react decision plays. But that guy to me is a little bit more interesting from a role player perspective than RJ Hampton is, because I know already that he makes these ridiculously high level IQ decisions I think he's a little bit better of a shooter, despite the fact that he also has some mechanical issues that he's going to have yeah. to work through. Um, particularly as a pull-up shooter, his pull-up shot takes like three seconds to get off. It feels like half the time. Like yeah. there are going to be some real concerns there. I think that this comes down to like a philosophy thing on some level, right? Like, do you want to mm-hmm. take the guy that you feel good about being a role player who helps your guys get better? Or do you want to take a guy in uh, RJ Hampton that is maybe more of a home run swing that can be that guy who can take yeah. 45 pick and rolls a game on the wing and be a yep. creative force. I, you know, for me personally, Sam, I like dynamic guys. I'm a dynamic drafter. So I'm taking RJ Hampton just because he's more dynamic. Um, Tyrese is a, is a, a, a really high cerebral type of guard that's going to settle into his a backup role and be he's not going to hurt your team at all. He's going to he's going to run that second unit. He's going to make the right reads and if your starting point guard gets hurt for a couple of games, he'll be able to kind of hold the fort a little bit. Um but I'm just more of a dynamic guy and if I'm drafted in a lottery, um I'm not going to play it safe in a lottery. 
Like I need to, I need to hit a home run. I like the crowd noise. I need the attraction, and R.J. Hampton just brings that home for me. And I'll and I'll and I'll and I'll die on that hill, you know, because I just <laughs> because I just I believe in dynamic players first, right? Like, in the in the in the scheme of things, in the lottery for me, I'm going dynamic in a lottery, and then I'm going safe outside of the lottery. That's my motto. We're going dynamic in the lottery, and we're going safe outside of it. So that's kind of how I look look upon it when I'm when I'm drafting. See, I think that I actually agree with you on that. I would just even go a little bit further. Like I want guys that are dynamic, like in the top seven, and then yeah. I'm a little bit more willing to go like a safer route. Once yeah. you get outside the top seven, just because if you look at the past draft histories, right, like it's just really hard to find guys that are that dynamic, even outside of the top seven. Yeah. Right. That, that, like I'm just willing to, I think that I'm just like a little bit safer, a little bit earlier than you are basically when it comes to the draft. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences, Sam. I don't blame you. Like that's a very real, like strong strategy. I think you know guys that can bring in difference makers at fifteen, eighteen. Sometimes that's like you know a lucky swing of the dice or roll of the dice, right? But wow. you know, every single one of these picks, like I bring up the example of Giannis, right? Like Giannis was a very unique situation because a lot of NBA executives didn't really have him on their radar until like January of his draft year. And any international prospect now that gets taken in the first round, they've NBA draft evaluators have seen these guys from the time that they've been 16 onward. Giannis mm-hmm. was a weird situation because at the time he didn't have the Greek citizenship because His family immigrated from Nigeria to Greece, and in Greece you don't get automatic citizenship in uh, whenever you're born in the country if your parents aren't citizens. So in the case of Giannis, he never got a chance to play these youth competitions. So it was just this six foot nine freak show athlete dominating second division Greece, and. Teams had to scramble to figure out how to do it. When I look at the Giannis pick, though, like I think that what Milwaukee did really well was they evaluated the human being at the center of all of these tools and figured out, okay, this is worth a swing of the dice or a roll of the yeah, dice yeah. in a way that like a team like Boston, for instance, took Kelly Olynyk ahead of them Safer clearly pick. because they couldn't get as much of a read on where Giannis was going. Giannis, again, like we talk about even like Alexei Pokashevsky yeah. uh, in this draft, right? Like I talk to NBA executives and they're, they're even like, this guy's a mystery box. We know a lot more about Alexei Pokashevsky than we do even about Giannis when yeah, he was in the draft in 2013. And I think that that's how the draft process has changed, but also an example of how going toward more of an upside swing if you feel comfortable with the person involved can really just you know change the trajectory of your franchise in a very positive manner yeah you look at you know there's there's teams that usually teams that that don't try to swing and get dynamic guys and play it safe usually the teams that play it safe are the teams that don't go anywhere um you know you you got to you got to take some you got to take some 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 risks some chances but they got to be calculated you got to trust the guys that your scouts you got to trust the, your scouting departments you got to with social media today even as a as an NBA GM if I'm a if I'm an NBA GM I'm you know I'm all on social media like you, I, yeah. information is everywhere so yeah. I I blame these teams when they miss on these picks because <laughs> there's so many resources at your fingertips, so you should make you should be close to making the right pick. Now, obviously, guys are not going to pan out, um, but you still got to be able to make the right pick for your organization at that present time. Um, and I believe a lot of teams have missed out on that um, because they tried to play it safe, like a uh, Kelly Olynyk, Boston saying, "You know what? Let's go Kelly Olynyk," but. There was the Greek. The Greek freak was was right there. Um, 
but you wanted to play it safe. And again, you also have to trust the development stage of kids. See, I'm able to look at kids and see what they're going to be four years down the line. A lot of times teams want to draft a kid for right this moment because we live in a fast food society, kind of this everything has to be served on a plate right then and there instead of waiting on something to blossom. And Milwaukee was smart. They allowed the kid to grow into his body, gave him some confidence, worked him into the lineup, and now he's Mr. Milwaukee. So I'm going to yell out some guys here, and we'll go kind of rapid fire here because sure. I don't want to hold you for more than 10 minutes longer. Sure. Let's uh, let's go Devin Vassell. Love him. Love him. Uh, terrific, terrific kid, first of all. Um, yep. Funny story about him. When they recruited him, uh, <laughs> Coach CY, my main guy, assistant coach, one of my mentors at Florida State told me nobody really knew about the kid, found him in a dark alley playing uh, playing pickup at a, at a small high school and knew that the kid was a pro the first time he laid eyes on him. So I really like the kid. I'm a big fan as well. I have him at number 10 on my board. Uh, just the two-way potential. He's a really, really good defender. Uh, obviously can knock down shots, really grew as a pull-up shooter this year, which uh, he didn't do any of as a freshman. So uh, very good work ethic. I am a big fan. Yeah. Uh, Tyrese Maxey. Um, I, I, I like him. I think that he's going to have to improve the offensive side of the ball. He shot uh, 29% from three, which is really not good at the college level. Um, but I do like his upside, his ability to uh, use his body. It's a really good combo guard. He's going to have to work on a jump shot and his consistency. Um, he struggled with both of those uh, this year at Kentucky. But I like the kid. When you see someone who is that low release point, on the jump shot mm-hmm. because Tyrese actually grew a lot as a jump shooter in high school uh, and started to knock down shots at like a 35, 36% clip. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if in the adjustment to college basketball, that lower release point on his jumper really caused some issues for him. How do you feel about guys in general that have lower release points as they try and move up? Like um, it, I mean, for me, I'm a, if it goes in, it goes in for me. So I, I try to just keep it sure. If you can't, you either can make shots or you can't. And right now, Maxi can't make shots. So if he was shooting from a, if he if he's making shots from that low release, I wouldn't complain. But you're not making it. So if it, you gotta you gotta change that. So I, I I'm I'm concerned with his jump shooting at the next level. Um, but I know he has a great trainer. Um, working with him, um, so I think he's going to improve over time. But I don't think he's going to be a, a, a kid that's going to pop right away. You're going to maybe have to wait on him. Kind of what you were saying about RJ, I think that kind of fits Tyrese Maxey more. Like the first team that drafts him may not get the best Tyrese Maxey, maybe the second team. Trey Jones. Phenomenal. Phenomenal point guard, leader, excellent passer, magnetism. Knows the game. Lineage, first-round pick. Yeah, I've got him at 17 right now. When I look at him, when Kyle Lowry entered the NBA, Mm -hmm. Kyle has grown into something, I think, beyond what people expected of him because he added the pull-up jumper. But Kyle still made an exceptionally high-level impact early in his career just by being an exceptional defender, being an unbelievable passer of the ball, and being able to get into the lane and – play within pick and roll and make incredible reads constantly. I think that kind of early career Kyle Lowry is what I see of Trey Jones. And that's a really good player. That's a guy that I think is probably going to be a starting point guard. And then yeah. we'll see where the jump shot goes, I think. Yeah. Well, he reminds me of his brother. So I'm not even, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He reminds me a lot of his older brother and he's, his older brother is a really, really good point guard. Uh, Devon Dotson. I like his speed. Um, I, I, I see him as a second-round pick, but I, I, I do see him as a change of pace guard. Um, loved him at Kansas, uh, what he brought to the table, his ability to draw fouls, um, make really good decisions, and um, he, has a, he has a toughness about him that I like. Yeah, I agree with that. The He just kind of has that, like, I say this, like, I don't mean it negatively. Like, he has that, like, motherfucker gene where, like, he just wants to go out there and just, like, destroy He's just a tough. And I really like that. He's really tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, really tough. Um, But I I worry, too, about just the size, Mm -hmm. the slight frame, 
and he's really going to have to be a high-level shooter, which he was not this year, unfortunately. Yep. When you're small. Uh, Tyrell Terry. Oh, man. <laughs> he, I think that kid, I, I, I think he's – I think he's top five offensive player in the draft if he stays. That's awesome. I would love, I want to hear about that because I uh, am a big Tyrell Terry fan. And uh, I worry about the translation early on because he's like 160 pounds soaking wet. But I I would be very interested to hear what you love about him that, at that Man, I, you know what? I, you know, I watched a ton of tape on him and I know you have too. But I can't shake this Kimball Walker style out of my head. I can't shake it. I can't unsee it. Like he has some, he has some Kimball Walker in him. Like he reminds me of a young Kimball when when I used to watch Kimball at UConn. Like I see a lot of that, and he has that. He has the ability to be like a four level scorer. Like he has unlimited range. He knows how to score. He's very crafty, very slithery. And I just think that he's gonna he's one of those rookies that you you draft and you and you stash him for two years and all of a sudden he just pops out of nowhere in year three and it's like, man, where did this kid come from? I'm really, really high on Tyrell and I'm a huge fan of his style of play. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. I think that what a lot of people haven't gone back and done is if you go back and watch him play for like D1 Minnesota or D LaSalle, you see a guy that was like even like a pass first point guard at Stanford this year. He was a lot more of a score first guy. He really is incredibly unselfish. He can make a lot of really nice passing reads. He's not an awesome live dribble passer. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. he's typically stopping on two feet and then making a pass, but he does have that understanding of angles to where I think once he gets stronger and stronger on the ball, particularly as a ball handler, I think that that's the difference between him and Kemba Walker. Uh, I don't think Tyrell is as strong on the ball yet. Kemba is just like oh, he's vicious, vicious in and out. Yeah, and crosses, vicious, but right? Kemba grew into that too. You know, it took, took him a right. while to grow into that, but you got to think Tyrell's young and, and, and the year and, and my, my observation of him is, and my projection is two years down the line. You give him two years NBA practice of understanding, building his body under, and I just, I just, I can see him being a special player. Yeah, I'm in on him as a first round pick for sure. Um, Grant Riller is another guy I'm in on as a first round pick. I know you're high. I just want to hear uh, why you are as high on Grant Riller. As Grant Riller are. is probably. He's probably my favorite prospect this year. I got like four. I got like three or four every year, Sam. Grant Riller is a no. He, he's one of the. He's yeah, one of mine too. I'm right I've been. I mean, I'm. I've been following Grant since high school, so this is not. This is not new to me. Like this kid is the best offensive player in the draft. Like this is what. I, he's the best offensive player in the draft. He is. He's the best offensive player in the draft. The kid had scored two thousand points in college. He was a 30-point scorer in high school. Like, this ain't no fluke here. Like, this is this is real popcorn right here for you, Sam. This kid, look, this is what I don't like. People try to paint the, oh, he's 23 years old. He's old. No, I don't. No, 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 no. This kid is the best offensive player in the draft. He's going to put the ball in the basket. He reminds me of a Spencer Dinwiddie type of player. Instant offense, and he's going to make yeah. a GM very proud. Grant Riller. We call him Ghostface. I like the Spencer Dinwiddie comparison. I think that's actually, like, dead on. Um, He is such an elite-level finisher at the basket that it's hard for me to see how that doesn't translate. He has that – you know, we kind of talked about how I don't think Tyrell has that viciousness in and out of crossovers. Grant has that. (laughs) Like, Grant Grant is nasty. He plays with an incredible pace. Uh, He explodes in and out of his moves in a way that I think uh, the good guards do. I am a, I am a fan of Grant Riller. I can't get to where he's the best offensive player in the draft, but I do think that he is exceptionally ready to come in off the bench and be a good scorer. I agree. That, and that's why I believe his age is an advantage to him. Like I I don't like when people use kids age at against him. No, He's 23 years old, which means you can plug and play him right away. That's why I like his age in this draft. Grant, no, I mean, 
teams are looking for guys that they can get value on rookie scale contracts for, just even from an asset perspective, right? So when I look at Grant Riller, I'm like, okay, there's a pretty real chance that this guy's just going to be an awesome scorer that some team takes it. 25 overall somewhere yeah. between 25 and 40 probably yep. and they're going to get a real backup guard on a minimum scale deal early on in his career and i think he's hopefully i don't i think he's probably going to be like a sixth man long term but yeah. i'm a fan yeah no huge fan i think he's going to have a long productive nba career grant ghostface willer you are higher on jamias ramsey than i am yeah Explain to me why you really like Jemias. Again, it's the it's it's what I see going forward. I, I just too many times we we put emphasis on synergy. Where we watch synergy and we look at the stats on synergy and we try to give kids that outlining. And 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 I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a a case study. When you look at Cam Reddish last year, his synergy was horrendous. Yeah, but what I saw was a kid that can translate to the NBA right away. I didn't even, I, and, and so many people were, oh, Cam Reddish is gonna, he's not gonna be this, he's not gonna be this, because Synergy said he can't shoot from the left wing. Synergy said he can't do this. It's the same thing with Jamias Ramsey. Like Jamias is, I think he's the best two way player in this draft. And a lot of people, oh, he doesn't play defense. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And it's like, no, this kid is stoic. He's powerful. He's mean, he's tough, and if you look at his track record, everywhere Jemias Ramsey goes, he wins. And you want guys like that on your team. And that's why I like this kid. 42% from three, 44% from the field, didn't shoot well from the free throw line, but that, again, that can be corrected. So I'm taking Jemias Ramsey in the top ten. That's one of those – LaMelo ball for me swings that I'm swinging for a guy like Jemias Ramsey. So here, here's what worries me a little bit is this year is kind of the outlier for him is a shooter from three, right? Mm-hmm. Like at lower levels, he was, you know, somewhere between like 33 and 35 consistently. Mm-hmm. And when he got to Texas tech, people thought he was like a driver right? Because of that, like they figured, okay, this guy's going to be like a combo guard scorer. And then he comes and he starts knocking down shots. I just worry a little bit that the shot isn't as, I understand. Uh, isn't as good as what the numbers, the numbers say. say. I get right? it. Mm-hmm. And like, he wasn't a good free throw shooter. Wasn't a good pull up shooter this year either. Got it. Uh, that stuff is what worries me. The defense. Yeah. Like I'm not as high on the defense. I, I don't think he, like he has the frame to be a good defender. Oh yeah. I think that I'm a little bit, I'm probably a little bit more bullish on that side of it than some people seem to be just because young is six foot four, 215 pounds or whatever, and is going to be able to match up with guys. Yes. I still, I worry enough about the jump shot though, to where I probably would not take him in the first round because if the jump shot doesn't translate at the level to where he is like this awesome catch and shoot player, I worry if he's good enough at everything else, he's not like the most instinctive passer. He's not there defensively, even though I think there is real upside defensively. I, I just kind of worry what he does early on. And I worry that he could kind of get lost. Yeah. See, and I, and I don't, I don't see, again, those deficiencies, I can say the same thing about Anthony Edwards. I can say the same exact thing. Like, I don't know. The difference. So I actually, I think that you're right on that. But the difference with Anthony is Anthony's going to step in and be like top 1%, maybe top 4% athletes in the NBA, like from day one, right? That guy has just such a ridiculously explosive first step. He has uh, a ridiculously explosive leaping ability. Jemias doesn't really have that to well, fall back on. No, but but again, Again, with Jemias, we're discrediting him for something that he was good at. Like the kid shot forty-two percent from three. It's like we got That's true. We got like you're, you're you can't discredit that. You can't discredit credit. Like you're saying he can't shoot well, but he shot well. You know, well, it's it's not that I'm saying he can't shoot. Okay, okay. I'm just I'm worried about what happens if this was just like a small sample size season. What if, I'm saying that there's enough uncertainty 
in regard to how good he is as a shooter. Right, and I say the same. Where, I say the same thing about Anthony Edwards. Like my my, I'm using that same argument that you have with Jamias Ramsey. I have those same concerns about Anthony Edwards. Like, is he yeah. like he he needs a lot of shots to score, right? He needs a lot of shots to score. Um, he's not really a great shooter. He doesn't play defense. So why is he considered a top three pick when Jamias Ramsey goes to Texas Tech? You can't even get on the court at Texas Tech if you don't compete. We know this. So a kid that shot 42% from three, 44 from the field, and showed flashes of being able to make big shots. Now, I've watched the film. He There's a lot of times where Texas Tech would give him the ball in the last 45 seconds of the game, and he would take them home. Like, so I can make cases for Jemias the same way that everybody's making a case for Anthony Edwards. I'm just, I'm just, what I'm saying, Sam, is not really my argument with you. It's my, no, 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 yeah, it's yeah. my argument with, with everybody who, who moved the goalposts depending on which prospect it is. Like, I can make a case that Anthony Edwards isn't a top 10 pick. I could make a legitimate case. I'm dead serious. I think there is a case for that. Like, uh, I have them in the top five. Me too. Like, Me too. But I can make a case that, look, this is why I wouldn't take them in a top top ten. You know, so it's like we're making these cases against Jemias Ramsey and but we're and and R.J. Hampton, but Lamelo Ball can't really guard a parked car either. You know, Anthony Edwards can't guard a parked car, but we keep talking about oh he does he's not a great defender. Well, there's not really a lot of great defenders in the NBA period. So let's stop putting everything or he can't play defense. Man, half the NBA can't play defense. <laughs> I think that's strong, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's finish on what I think is going to be a positive guy. I really okay. like Malachi Flynn a lot more. The more that I watch him, where are you at on Malachi? Flynn? I like him a lot, Sam. I just think he's one of those uh, just leaders, right? Uh, just yeah, great. He's going to be a great locker room guy. You get a great person, a, a, a kid that understands winning. Anytime you get a point guard that can win at the quote unquote mid major level, you have to take in consideration that that player really understands how to win basketball games um I watched him with my own eyes against UNLV and I just love the way he controlled the tempo of the entire game um and I just believe that an NBA team can use his services he's going to be a great like second unit guy and um I'm excited to see where he ends up yeah like he's a guy when he was at Washington State I I actually really liked him and I liked him because I thought he was just like a hooper he was a guy who could go out and get buckets Right. But then this year he kind of shifted that a little bit. Not to say that like he wasn't, he didn't have that same Hooper gene, but he shifted it on its axis a little bit and became that guy who can dictate tempo in addition to being that guy who can also just go out and get you a bucket when you need it. He started to make exceptional high-level passing reads in a way that he just never showed at Washington State. Uh, he's the guy mm-hmm. that, like, I think can legit run offense. I mean, like, I don't think he should have been that league's defensive player of the year, but, like, he's a pretty good defender. He's certainly tenacious on the yeah. defensive end. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm starting to wonder if he's, like, a late first-round pick for me. Like, I, re- I really am. Wow. Wow. The more, okay. the more I watch him, the more I'm like, okay, this guy is probably a backup point guard, but yeah. there's more Fred Van Vliet in him than any other prospect in this class. I see that. I, and I, I like that. I agree with you on that one, Sam. Um, it goes back to what me and you talked about a couple of minutes ago, a few minutes ago, where we were saying that, you know, you, you swing for the dynamic guys early and then you get to save guys later. This is... Flynn is the epitome of, look, this is the safest pick that that's going to work for us. So I, I, that's why I agree. I agree with you there. All right, Rashad, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what you've got going on. Yeah, you can, you can find me um, on Twitter, RP3Natural, um, or Instagram, Rashad Phillips 2319 
Um, my website, sportstalk2319.com. I have my NBA draft prospect information there. And um, those are the, the, the avenues where you can have a, a dialogue with me and, and, and talk draft and basketball. And I welcome all welcome all uh, information and communication from everybody. You do welcome everyone, man. Like you, you, uh, you get out there responding in a way that I, I just can't fight those battles anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I try to, you know, I try to engage as much as possible until it just gets to the point where, you know, some people are really cool to talk to. Then you get the people who just want to be disrespectful and create fake pages to say stuff to you. Then it just gets out of hand. But like, if you approach me and want to talk basketball, like I'm okay with that. It's just when the people get you know, a little out of line and start being disrespectful, then it's like, okay. Go to the Athletic. Keep me employed over there. That would be great. Uh, we'll be back at some point. I don't know. I've been very hit or miss with the podcast over the last couple of weeks. So uh, it'll probably be back this week again, but who knows? Let's just be honest. Until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.